Welcome to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. You got to watch me. My wife tells me all the time, don't chase any rabbits while you're up there. Don't chase any rabbits. I'm going to chase one. Is that all right? I didn't even get started, but when I, when I sat down here, I've been on a couple other stages since I was five years old. And without fail, when they have this immediate drop-off, I go back to five years old. I have a picture, and nobody's going to see it. It's not to be seen. But I'm a five-year-old, and my mom had put my sister, who was about seven years older than me, into dance, and she was really doing good. And I didn't want to do it, but she's convinced these are back during the Sinatra days and the tap dancing and all the things that the musicals and that they would do. And I, it wasn't that I didn't want to be on stage. I was afraid I'd fall off. And I did. Well, almost. Because in my fear and moving forward, I edged my way forward reluctantly. And the best I remember, I kind of tripped a little bit. And I don't know what happened, but somebody pulled me back up before I went all the way down. So as I mentioned that to Pastor Sean and somebody else that was there, they said, just don't get too close. Just don't get too close. So when you're young, you might do that. And as you get older, you might do that. But I'm not going to get too close, all right? Praise God. Well, I do uh, appreciate this great opportunity because Sean and Jennifer mean a lot to us. I've worked with many, many people in in leadership and serving and... uh, I've told them, and I don't mind telling them, and you need to know this. In fact, I'm going to make some references as I speak today. They're just some of the best. They're just some of the best. And you'll never understand unless you pastor as a senior pastor, as a lead pastor. You'll never understand the load that's on you. You guys that are here today, it's it's, it's a great atmosphere, but there's not one of us that comes here, including myself, that we don't have things in our life that really want to pull from ministry. So our expectations are very high towards ourselves. But when you can come to a place where you understand, and I'm convinced that your pastor, his wife, and this team, they're doing everything not to do it wrong, but doing everything to bring you into a place. And the, the whole piece that he was talking about in, in becoming involved in volunteering and in serving that's it. Everything, everything is about relationships. And so when you do this, you're part of a team. Early we went through and we were meeting some of the people that were involved in what was taking place to make all of this happen today. And I really encourage you. I really encourage you. Chris uh, picked us up to bring us here today. And he was telling me at one point in his life, he was just going to a church and he was not doing anything. And he realized if he didn't start serving, and this guy's a great servant, I'm going to tell you, Chris is fabulous. I'm, if I get started on all of the Becca, tremendous job getting us here. Thank you so much. But I don't know the rest of you, so I'm going to brag on the two I've met. But I know the rest of you are doing great. I know you're doing great. Anyway, I want to talk about amazing leaders today. And that is that cloud of witnesses. We look to them. We know. And I'll try to move through this where I don't say too much about Sean and Jennifer. But that's what's on my heart. And I'm going to give you just a few little points about what those kind of people do. And you might not recognize that that's as important as it is as you've recognized or been able to see what they do. But let me start with a very personal story. How many of you can remember a specific lesson, a specific lesson from high school? 
Somebody taught a specific lesson. Is there one hand? You spent four years there. Okay, pretty good. Well, I enrolled in summer school for, you could do it in the regular year, driver's ed. I was just a few months from being able to get my license. We didn't have all these pre-licensed deals back in the day in Illinois. And so I walked in, and what I was really excited about, the, the, the teacher that was assigned to me for this was our basketball coach, well, basketball and football coach. And everybody loved him, and he was just a great guy, and he did a tremendous job. And so I was, I was kind of thrilled that's who it was going to be. So he kind of came up to talk to us. I don't know, there weren't that many of us there, but he kind of came up, stepped up close, and uh, said a couple of introductory things, and, and then he tells his story. And of all the things that I remember about high school, which is basically nothing, this one stands out. He said, you know, they were asking for people who'd want to do this. And that was probably a few years before this particular summer class. He said, I knew I had to volunteer. And he said, I'm going to share something with you that I hope moves you into a place as you drive for the rest of your life to be mindful of what I tell you. Well, you definitely had our attention. Don't you like it when a speaker starts out and, and you, you know, you're paying attention? I like it when you're paying attention to me. That's the reason I shared the embarrassing story of going off the stage. So he said, I had just had my license for a short period of time, and I was driving to my home through the neighborhood where I lived, and he said, suddenly I saw a basketball go out in front of me, and before I could think, there was a kid that followed it, and I took his life. You'll remember that story if you're about to start driving. I can't tell you, in fact, a week after I got my license, I wrecked my mom's car. It was a, you know, I wasn't in a position where I could run in front of somebody, but anytime I go through a neighborhood, I think about that. When I wrecked her car, I thought about it. A few weeks ago, we lost my wife's sister, and uh, a couple months now, we lost my, my, my wife's sister, and I, we were in her car because family was coming in, and there is this little uh, intersection kind of deal or where the road splits, and I was supposed to be in the right-hand lane, and I was in the left. I thought it was clear. I didn't look real, really as much as I should have. My wife was, we were talking. And the next thing you know, I hear this major truck air horn, and I was pulling in over him, and the guy kind of had to go off the road. Of course, immediately, I think about Mr. McCain and what he told me. And I've had a few little accidents, but nothing large, nothing's ever been serious. I like to think that I did pay attention, and I'm always concerned that something could happen. He said, they told me it really wasn't my fault. It was a blind spot. It was all of that. He said, but I always thought there's something I could do. And I'd like us to take that. I always thought there was something I could do. I always thought there was something I could do. We need to take that with us in life and realize we are not just to be here as a person that participates in the worship, and we leave after a Sunday, and that's what we do for the Lord. We need to do all that we can do to be aware of the world around us. And the world around us needs good spiritual leaders more than they, we've ever seen before. We really do. I don't, you know, it doesn't make any difference in today's world what you may feel about some people. 
If you, if you see a good leader, there's probably something that you can learn from them. And I've been thinking about how so much stuff has been in the news, whether you watch the news or not. We all know about uh, uh, President Zelensky and whether he dies in this war tomorrow or whether he, is, he lives and he lives a full life. He will always be remembered in history because he was the one that said, I don't want a way out of here. I just, I just want some bullets. You know, I just, I just want something that I can do to fight off what's happening here. And when a person is willing to lay down their life, as we know even scripturally, there's no greater love than that. There's no more passion than that. And sometimes we just need to lay down part of our life to do some of the things that can make a big difference in a whole lot of lives. So anyway, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of people who've done tremendous things in the Bible. This cloud of witnesses, it's so great. I, I think about them all the time. I love using biblical illustrations of the characters in the Bible. And, and one of the greatest is Gideon. You know, the, the, these guys, Gideon and Jonathan, his armor bearer, who go up against all the crazy odds, David and Goliath. But yet they come out. In fact, they've even been talking about David and Goliath in the news of late. It, it's just so amazing to see people who are willing not just to do the job, not just to do the thing, but realizing if I do this, there will be other people who will see what I have done, not because I'm anybody, but because they can see it does make a difference in other lives. And may I tell you, there's nothing greater in life than to make a difference for good in the lives of people who are our friends, our first acquaintance just recently. What a great series this is. I would like to specifically talk about one of our great leaders in military and also became a president. Dwight D. Eisenhower, our 31st president, great general in the Great War. But at one point as a general, his responsibility was to train generals. He was to train. Any training go on around here? You just don't get out there and not know what to do and try to do it. You're trained. I am convinced. Sean, when he was our youth pastor, he... he followed this particular pattern of making sure that people are trained so that people receive that training, go forth with that training, and do what is right. So anyway, he was that person. And, and Sean, thank you for all the training you did. It's still very, very evident throughout that city. Because of that, they were able to have the largest monthly youth gathering in, in Jackson, Mississippi. It was tremendous, and, and uh, he drove me nuts about all the stuff he wanted and all the money that he wanted to spend, and he was always very fugal, but boy, when you go in there and the halls were packed and the place was exciting and all that kind of stuff, it made it absolutely tremendous, but anyway, Eisenhower had the responsibility, but his, his and some of you probably heard this before, but his number one illustration was he had a table, and he'd place a chain on that table. Anybody heard that before, heard this illustration? Don't forget it. Use it. It's very, very important. He put this big chain, and he said, now, I'm going to show you how to lead. And he'd take the chain, and he said, we're going to move forward with this chain. And he'd start pushing it, trying to keep the links together and move it forward. But it would just go every sort of way. And then he said, now let me show you how to really lead as an officer. And he would take the chain, and he would begin to pull the chain. And the rest of the chain would follow because the links would have to connect and then they would have to follow. He trained his generals with one of the simplest illustrations you can possibly speak of, but it illustrates so well that when we're moving forward 
being a leader, all of us, and we need to be amazing leaders. You never know where God's going to take you and where you might immediately have a responsibility to lead. We had, we had so many different deaths in our family over the last few years, and my wife has, has always been a leader, but they all started turning to her because we had lost those who had been leading the family. And, 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 and she's done a tremendous job. But when I talked to her family about how important it is that she stepped up, that she stepped up to lead and how it's pulled them together. And she spends an enormous amount of time making sure they're okay, driving to where they are because it was traumatic. One was a very shocking, very immediate death. And, and, and she did. And you can pull people a whole lot easier than you can push them. You say, well, what, what do you mean saying that regarding people who've died? I have watched families not know how to handle that. And everybody's trying to push their ideas as to what ought to happen. I've seen graveside situations where they just start getting at each other. And instead of celebrating a life, they've literally got into one of the most ridiculous, I'll just say it that way, ridiculous moments of fighting each other. You know, we can, we can do so many things when crisis comes. When I say this a lot now. When emotion is high, wisdom is low. And when wisdom is low, emotion is high. And so as Eisenhower taught these guys, he knew how important, he knew that it was very wise to get his generals to be able to pull because let me, know, let me tell you this, I know, I, we, we have a grandchild who chose to go into special services in the army. And he's just down the road a little, a little bit at Fort Campbell. And they've been sending him off for special training for things. It's my prayer that whoever it is is responsible for him. And as he would begin to lead, that they learn you, you, can't, you can push when you're going through basic training, I guess, or special services training. You can push up to a point, but there comes a time when it's got to get in the heart. And that's what you want to do. So anyway, I want to... Uh, I want to help train some generals here today. I want to also explain, how do I word this? Explain why Sean does what he does. You have your own personality, don't you? I know you have your own personality. Jennifer's is a little bit different. But he has learned, and he has done so well at pulling people into, look at this, one year. Give yourselves a hand. One year. This is phenomenal. We've started a couple of churches. I don't know what I was doing. He knows what he's doing. This is phenomenal. So let me give you just a, a few points, just, just a couple of things maybe. I'll give you what I can, all right? In order to do this, I want to read from Luke, the ninth chapter. Just one verse, two verses. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he gives them a whole lot more instructions. Sean, how long did you take living here and gathering and doing pre-launch things? How many months was that? 10 months. When we started churches, I carried a Bible in and a songbook <laughs> and sat down with my kids and maybe somebody I drugged to church. And we started churches. So not the right way to do it. Anyway, 
Jesus knew this, and I wasn't a good enough student of the Word to understand this at the time. He knew you can't just push people into doing something. There is a setup for this, and it's called Luke 8. Imagine, imagine if you had someone come to you as your pastor and would tell you, I want you to go out and heal the sick. It's going to be like so overwhelming. And if there's some spirit that this isn't of God, I want you to be able to set people free from that and pray over them. How would you feel about that? So what we have to do is we have to, we have to back up. Before I go into Luke 8, I also want to just quickly give you these points so that you'll have this understanding about what is a good overview of all of this training that goes on. And I'll, have to, I'll just have to mention their names. I told him I might be embarrassing. But you have to lead by example. I don't say that about here because I wasn't here during those 10 months. But I know even he talked about uh, him having to learn and all that. He came with a whole lot of passion to lead people. And you have to have people to have the largest youth meeting in the metropolitan area of 500,000 people. You have to. I wish he wouldn't have done it because I think that's the video that ended up getting to Fredericksburg. And when they saw that, they decided they had to come and work with them and we lost them. But that's okay. That's the kingdom of God and that all works. But he did lead Alec by example. He got ahead of the team. He was, he was there working with them and he doesn't need to be always there as he trains you. Then that thing can break down and you can grow. People don't follow a vision. Can I tell you that? A vision is great and you have to have it. They follow a leader with one. I know people have spouted out visions, and sometimes they change them every year or two. But the problem is they don't get out in front of it. A leader who's principled, casting the vision to move forward into. You know, uh, I wrote this down. Newton's first law of motion says that a body in motion tends to stay in motion. A body at rest tends to stay at rest. I am so thankful that I was inspired and, and set under the leadership of some people who understood these principles. Lead by example. Jennifer, was that your idea to have the prayer meeting? You mean somebody didn't come to you and force you to have one? Somebody didn't say, oh, come on, we need a prayer meeting. You have to lead it. By leading by example like this, you do have, and I think you said someone came to you, Sean, right? Because you're leading by example, because you're seeing this in place, others are going to want to do that also. And that's what it takes. You'll only stay where you are now. I know that's not going to happen. But unless some people pick up not just the vision, but they pick up the passion to move forward. You say, well, you know, we strive for perfection. I hope you do strive. The Bible says to strive for the mastery. That, what's that mean? I like, I like what one football coach said about that. He said, we should always move and work towards perfection. He said, we'll never get there, but we will end up at excellence. So anytime you feel pressured, like, well, we're doing too much. It's just, I just like to come to church. Are you kidding me? What if the disciples just wanted to show up for the healings? For the special words that Jesus would speak. The greatest part of ministry is I've seen it in people's lives where they and their children and their families really move in and God does things in their lives and blesses them. It's when they put their shoulder to the wheel and they begin to work towards what God can do, not only in their lives, but in other lives. Church, 
Today, as we are Christians, for us as Christians, it's not about us having a great service. We want a great service, and we want to have excellence in the service, but it's about us preparing a place for people who are desperate for God to want to come and to find God. You've been told that already. Everybody say, lead by example. I'm watching that clock go down. I'm going to get through this thing. Number two, so good. Lead, develop strong relationships. Strong relationships. Probably about two years or maybe a year, Sean, into you being with us, you and Jennifer, I asked you and Paul Pavani to do research. We had tried different ways of doing smaller groups and we were looking towards the certain way we wanted to do it. And I said, I, 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 think, I think Sean and Paul's attitude is, thank God he's finally going to get our advice, that old man. <laughs> so I brought him into my home, and we sat there, and I had a notepad. And this is Sean now. Now, I am his pastor. But he says, now, pastor, I had a notepad in hand. He says, please don't say anything until we're finished. <laughs> you want to know why? It was my tendency to interrupt and chase rabbits and get all over the place with the whole thing. And he says, and if we need to change it, make it a little bit different, but they really did tremendous research. I love it. This is one great thing about a younger generation of pastors. I love the fact that they try to figure out the best way to make a difference for the kingdom of God and individual lives. And this was really going to do that. It became one of the greatest things we ever did. And so we sat there and they went through the whole thing. And I thought, well, I, was, I wrote down th several questions, but then they would eventually answer them. And we launched this thing, and it was a success from the first day that we did it. And so I, I looked at it this way. Because of Paul's and John's ability to get close to me, a lot of their responsibility, that relationship worked, and it was the seed for our small groups to build good relationships from that moment on. And I got behind In fact, I, can, I never will forget. I said, now, Pastor, you got to do this too. You have to have a group, maybe one or two, and you have to talk about it from the pulpit. Pastor, you have to do that. Sometimes you go off and you just talk about other things, but you have to do this. And so I did, and it made all the difference. So you see, not only as pastor does he kind of pull people through leadership. Actually, you might have been pushing me there. I don't really know. But, <laughs> but you do it even sometimes when you're on staff. Anyway, so that's an important piece. And uh, I want to go to this third one. And I don't know any better compliment than I can give. I just have to say it and you'll understand it. You have to communicate clearly. I've never been so communicated to before I've come to church, uh, preach somewhere as I have coming here. Becca texts me. I filled out forms. I gave them the kind of coffee I might want before. And did I need this? And did I need that? And did I need this? And, and finally, Sean says, you know, Becca really does a great job, and I'm glad she gets to do that. But if you just need to talk to me about what you want to talk to me about, I said, okay. And he wanted to make sure I was okay with all of this. But you know, really, he didn't need to worry. It let me know that they were communicating clearly. Okay? And I like the last one, and you, I know this is well-established here, but not everybody knows to do this. Share the win. When the pool is successful, share the win. I heard that as we were walking through, as I was getting in a tour, meeting a few people. And I, somebody told me one time, Pastor, let me tell you what people like about you. They like the attaboys. 
pat on the back, telling them they're doing a good job. I want to go to this uh, eighth chapter of Luke. And uh, this is where Jesus calms the storm. This is where Jesus was able in Luke 9, by what he did here in Luke 9, tell them to go out and do these things, and they would do it. A lot of times people delegate. There's no backing to it. And they leave people who are given an assignment a very hard place to be. They're supposed to accomplish something, but they don't know what to do to accomplish it. And so... When we look at this eighth chapter, we see Jesus in his all-knowing, realizing what he's going to be asking of these, his disciples. Can I ask you a very simple question? Have you ever started a job where even when you'd been there several days, you had no idea what you were supposed to be doing? That's a very bad environment. Or... Have you ever had a job where the person who is your supervisor should also be doing what you're doing? But they don't seem to do that. Don't know what it is they're doing, but they're not doing that. It's a very bad environment to work in. The King of Kings, the Almighty, the Lord of Lords, Really, it's just God enrobed in flesh here on earth. Already been through a lot. But he's headed to a place where he'll say, it's finished. And I'll probably get back to that. He's headed to a place where he says, it's finished. But Jesus said to his disciples, let us, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep but he was in control. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to, we're going to drown. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where's your faith, he asked. He asked his disciples, where's your faith? In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He who commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, that's the first part of the chapter. We're not going to read the rest of it, but just real quickly, we see him going into a situation where the, where the evil spirits were so strong that he, he prays, and they go into these pigs. I mean, what, 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 what a thing to watch. And Jairus, a synagogue leader, came to Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because he had a daughter, a girl about 12 years old, and she's about to die. But we've got to go and hold on that one because he's going to go. He's going to go with him. And then this woman with the issue of blood, this woman who has, has had this disease for 12 years, is trying to get to him. And, and, and so takes care of that whole situation. And then he does go, and this 12-year-old, is not just healed, but raised from the dead because while he was doing the other, she died. Which brings up a very, very good point. Somehow or another, Jesus wanted to include this in Luke 8 because when you're doing God's work, believe me, I know this, 
You can't tell everybody everything that's going on and how it's all going to turn out. The greatest pressure that Nita and I have had in ministry, and now I'm in a place where I'm mentoring a lot of younger preachers, several anyway, and the greatest pressure that they have is they know things that either they can never talk about or that the timing of talking about them, and so they just have to keep going and keep their mouth shut and their heart full. Because Jesus is still doing this great work of what he's going to ask them to do. And, and actually, he gets rebuked because, well, don't even go. She's already dead. I know moments like that. And, and, and if you get anything out of this as to how you can be a better undergirding of the ministry here, just, just do this. You know, my father-in-law said it so much, you just couldn't believe he said it almost every time. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. And you probably all heard that. And that's what happens. You have one little thing that in church could make the biggest difference in the world if we can just get through the storm. But some people, and that's why Jesus starts out with the storm. They didn't think they were going to live. They thought they were going to die. And then all of a sudden, the amazement of, man, who is he? Look at what's happened here. That set him up to give the rest of this stuff. And so anyway, all of these, and there's more. You might want to read through Luke 8. And that brings us back to where we started, and I want to read it again, Luke 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he called them together. Get this one. He called them together knowing that they were ready to go. I don't know how you feel about everything, but I've, at my age, I couldn't do it, but I felt like I needed to go over to Ukraine and grab a gun and do something. People dying, babies dying. Probably shouldn't have said all of that. But that's how we need to feel about the kingdom. That look what he did. Look at the hurt that's out there. Look, what, look what's going on. So he called the 12 together. Gave them power. Everybody say power. And authority. To drive out all demons. And I'm believing we're dealing, it's, it's spiritual warfare now. More than anything else. Because so much of the, the confusion about how, what we agree on, don't agree on, and the hate that comes out of it, all the craziness, all the stuff that's, that's coming internationally and out, out at us to try to figure out and get through it. But he gave them authority to drive out all the demons, to cure the diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God because that's what it's all about and to heal the sick. That's as powerful as it gets. Ultimately, when you see God do in some of the great miracles of financial provision, great miracles of Maybe someone you loved has decided to come and they've come to God and they're now getting involved. The great miracles of, of various, and, and, and God has healed me tremendously. Great miracles of healing and, and, and people who have been set free. That's, that's, really, that's really something. But we're moving into a place where corporately we're going to believe for God to do some things as we've never seen before. I don't know about you and I don't live in fear I always speak the good things are going to happen, and that's what I'm doing now. But as things in the world seem to get worse, we need to be people who are solid, steadfast in the faith, knowing that God's about to do something great. We want to be a part of it. We want to worship Him as we've never worshiped Him. Instead of being full of fear, we're going to sing some of the songs we sang this morning in our own life and let God do what He's going to do. So here's my challenge before we close this out. Here's my challenge. How many know what the two-minute drill is in football? Some of you need to start watching football. How many know that Tom Brady 
has won some games in the last part of the game. And uh, uh, Rodgers, uh, Green Bay, won one with like only 20-something seconds left, taking the ball down the field. This year. This year. You think, man, that's amazing. Look how well they play when they're really up against it. No, that's part of it. But the most practiced piece of football, mostly high school, I'm sure, too, college and professional football, the most practiced piece is what they call the two-minute drill. That means they have very limited time. They save certain things to do during that period of time, and they execute it in a way that looks like they really know what they're doing. They can't always, sometimes they'll use a two-minute drill when it's getting really bad and they need some momentum. But it's usually saved. And so many games end up there because of the, the momentum that changes back and forth. And so if it's a close game and, and all they need is, is you know, a, a touchdown or those, a few things like that, that's all they need, they can get down that field and they can do it. Now, the challenge again is this. And think about it very, very closely. If we have no other agenda and doing for God what we need to do. We never know when we're going to be in a close situation at the end of where the possibility is. And we need to be prepared. Don't wait to find God in prayer until there's a tragedy. Do it every day. And when the tragedy's there, you'll feel an anointing come over you and you can pray that prayer of faith. The two-minute drill. It's just as simple as that. If a football team that is all about somebody losing and somebody winning every time they play can understand the importance of that, how about the children of God who know we've, we've, we've read the back of the book. We know that we win. Well, how do we know that Jesus is doing this for us? You know, I told you earlier to get back to it. Jesus said, as it was all wrapping up, think about the pain of the cross. Think about all he'd gone through. Think about everything that turned around so quickly. And finally said, it's finished. I've always thought of that in terms of he went through a whole lot. Now it's over. No, I don't believe that anymore. Could be, but I don't really think that's it. I think what he was saying is what he has said he was going to do here because this was just a sample in Luke 9 of giving them power and authority. In order for us to have the power and authority that we have today, in fact, I want you to stand with me right now as I, as I make this point because I want, to, I want you to gather your thoughts again just in case you started thinking about what you're going to have for dinner. When he said it was finished, he meant, I have shed my blood. I'm about to give you resurrection, understanding, and power. I've done the part that I need to do. It's finished. When I... When I finished the last piece of that driver's ed class and I knew that I had been impacted greatly I was really thankful that I had him and that I heard that story and in a lot of ways my being trained to drive and we had actual driving it was finished I had the tools I could get my license but I needed to know that I was driving several and he said it this way several thousand pounds of machinery in a very narrow area every time I got in a car and there would be lives all around me 
I want you to get that mental picture that you're in a very narrow world of opportunity as a Christian. You know that. And there, there's a lot of weight behind this. But that's what God's given us, but to use right. And there's lives that are at stake on either side of you. Think about it a little bit differently when you see someone. The greatest regret that I ever had was Dennis Mathers, who I had lunch with every single day. I was good in church. I was strong, but I just could not. He had no relationship with God. And on a Sunday afternoon, he died in an accident. I wept over that because I never used that opportunity. How many of you know somebody you really probably could encourage? Becca, where's Becca? I want to use what I told you this morning. I told Becca, I said, Becca, I, I, I'm still allowing five minutes for my wife. There she is. I said, Becca, what's, what's something that, you know, I could speak to or however I worded it. She says, when I, when, I said, we, we practice sometimes how to encourage people and bring them to church and whatever. She said, I kind of struggle with that. I said, let me give you some advice, and I hope it works for you. I said, I was real shy when I was young, and I, I just couldn't, just, I just couldn't do some certain stuff. I had a speech class, and I couldn't give it. I got up when it was my turn to go down. And, and the, my teacher said, you better never, ever have to give a speech anywhere. So anyway, even when I was pastoring our first church, I, I was shy. But my wife helped me through this place. And one of the things that I've learned is I don't have to do all the talking. I told her, I said, if you just ask them about themselves, where they're from, what they do, they'll talk. everybody wants to talk except me. And they would talk. And eventually we'd get to their children. And then it was an opportunity to say, you know, one of the greatest things I've found, we have a great children's department. You know what? people will come to church for their children as the first thing that would encourage them than anything else but there are just just get them talking just get them talking and with the knowledge of the fact that he did it for us he will put nothing before us that we're not able to handle and if you just know that he's with you if you know that he's with you and everybody loves to talk even if you don't you'll find your opportunity and I only use, give those as an example I want to pray for you I want to pray that you don't see the big difference some people put between serving and leading. You don't have to be an extrovert to lead. You just have to have a passion and move in as much excellence as you can to make a difference in some people's lives. I am a standing testimony of that. Couldn't, couldn't talk to Dennis. It haunts me to this day, but I put him in the hands of God. But I made sure that it's not that way anymore. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all of these wonderful people. They are, so, they are so attentive to not only your word, but to your presence. I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, for this city. I pray for this region. God, I know that you're getting ready to do something so explosive in the Holy Spirit. I feel it. We just all have to show up for the great battle because it's not a bad fight. It's a good fight. And we're thankful that we win. Can you lift your voice and clap your hands and claim I'm a winner, we're a winner? Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org 
forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.